Sutra 11 The Mystical Marriage Those who merely leave their physical bodies and attain a state of celestial deities, or those who get merged into nature, have rebirth. Mother of Mercy, if I stay awake all night, vigilant and grateful, will you drop your protective veil over my vulnerable heart? I cannot control the world around me. I can only be faithful to my own deepest truth. Wrap me in your pure white cloak of devotion, so that I can remember what my sole task is as I praise the God of love. Cover me in your burial shroud as I die to my false self, to be reborn as a living example of peace on earth. Infuse me with the tincture of your tears, so that I may face every challenge with a tender and courageous spirit. It is our mind, and that alone, that chains us or sets us free, said forgiveness. Now who said that? Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, said forgiveness. After another night among the stars, we touched down upon the earth. Still I was a soul wandering without a body, but this was the land where I had once taken birth. To be without a body is like a season at any given time. Not much to hold you back, and so you're free to explore. Go on and see what you can find. When we first touched down upon Earth it was calm, and so our train of wonder was a safe haven from the unknown. The train provided a sense of presence and community we experienced together, and so this was a Sangha we called Om. Since the train had a pool, a lounge, a workspace, yoga classes, meditation practice, and even a bar, almost everyone aboard the train of wonder was content staying put, and so not many wandered very far. Then I met a couple brave travelers, and they used the train like a home base. They'd fly across the world on a whim to explore the rest of this earthly space. As I heard about their adventures, their stories seemed to remind me of a past life. I swear I too once had been a traveler when I used to be alive. It seemed life upon Earth was quite open. There were many possibilities to pursue, and so I went to Mr. Kismet and Forgiveness to ask them what to do. Whatever you are seeking is also seeking you, said Mr. Kismet. But what is it we're seeking? It seems that my life has been somehow unraveled. A spiritual warrior like you will only be fulfilled after the battle, said Forgiveness. But fighting is not what I want to do. And if you escape from the battle, you have not understood the battle, for the battle is within you, said Forgiveness. Then where is this battle? I do not see a war. When I look to my immediate surroundings, there's no one fighting anymore. There is a war in our world, and the battle is fought within the mind. Inside the inner world of any creature are the four guardians by design. Four kings looking after the land, four horses protecting all souls. These are the guardians of all beings that exist and maintain complete universal control, said Forgiveness. 
We stayed together the entire day. Then off in the distance, I could see the eternal sun going down over the pinnacle of a great mountain. Our train of wonder had gone a good distance to find Earth, and now the night of darkness was coming. There is a war in this world, and the answer is in the center of our soul. Only the jewel within the heart can tame Windhorse, who is quite difficult to control, said Forgiveness. A lightning bolt shot down from the sky. The glow of fire erupted in the distance. The more Forgiveness spoke, the more I knew I had to listen. And if you can hear this, then you have been chosen. You are among the righteous that are called. Are you willing to fight for our truth and protect our great temple walls? Asked the panther named Forgiveness. A temple? But where is the war? I stand upon the ground of friends, and I do not sense fighting anymore. Of course I honor truth, and I have come to answer your call. But Forgiveness, my lord, I do not see a temple, so where are the temple walls? Go inward and meditate. Seek, and you will find. There is a war within the world, and it is happening within the mind," said Forgiveness. There in stillness, I was brought into a certain visualization, where the mind went off to explore, and so my soul would accompany the thinking mind on any given occasion. Here I went to visit old memories. Sometimes I touched spaces of anger or aggression, and the more I navigated this mind, the more I stumbled upon the old vrittis or modifications and impressions. Like old train tracks, these were pathways of thought. I could travel along them however I liked, and some of these pathways were so old that they were ideas I'd long forgot. Now you wouldn't believe what I thought, and that's why I've come to write and record all these lessons. I began to see a certain pattern from all these old impressions. Life after life, certain things were set in stone. Call them major monuments. They were like callings, reminders, or even mistakes that needed to be atoned. Life after life, my soul seemed to be on the same mission, and so I'd live each life trying to rectify any mistakes and make sense of the old impressions. The soul could see into the past lives. There I realized the mind and body were unique vehicles. The seer was trying to steer us, and so the intuition did its best to be strategical. Imagine if you were the soul, then how would you get somebody's attention? If the body and mind were overwhelmed by the senses of the world, you'd need an intuitive sense that could go beyond dimensions. From the point of view of the seer, I could look back and see all the past decisions that made little sense. There was a war going on, and for so long I couldn't even remember what I was fighting against. There upon one lucky life, it seemed I was able to connect the dots. Long ago, I had lived a spiritual life, and this impression was not something that could be forgot. The spiritual practices were imprinted, no matter how distant or old. I took the mind down this old pathway, and there I found the way home to our soul. I saw all the times I prayed. I came to all the moments I truly believed. In church pews were discussions with teachers. 
Every instance appeared like a sacred thread being weaved. Life after life, my soul made great progress. Now I knew it was the soul's development that mattered most, and life and death were like a spiritual process. The more I was spiritually focused, then like a great lotus, I would watch my spirit prepare to bloom. All these sacred moments had reconnected me to that inner spiritual truth. Then something shocking appeared. It was a vision from somewhere called the fourth floor. I had found myself on a wild journey locked behind a giant brass door. At this point in the meditation, the Holy Spirit had pulled me into my old lives to reveal a very important message. I saw myself with a bride when I heard her whisper, A mystical marriage. My eyes tried to find her voice, but I could barely see the fading memory. Her form was invisible like the wind, and after she kissed my lips, I watched her enter into me. Two spirits together, a union of one. Something that appeared to happen lifetimes ago that I'd long forgotten. But I could not escape her. The ritual or marriage tied us together. She revealed it was a cosmic tie between beloved and lover. From the level of the soul, impressions like a marriage could be called karmic. But there were certain ties that formed deeper impressions, and so these ties were called cosmic. From that distant vision, it seemed like my soul was tied to a certain fate. Forgiveness was right. We were called for something that I alone could not escape. The deeper I went into meditation, the more the impressions always seemed to be there. And while the memories and ideas faded, the connection of the mystical marriage never disappeared. I realized the body lives in a physical location but the soul can traverse all sorts of dimensions and planes. That night, I went as far inward as I could. Yes, I tried to go inward all the way. I went in search of that mystical woman, because I knew she had to be here. As the clouds came over the night sky, I began to wonder if she was somewhere up there in the air. Then the spirit of the bride said, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the gift of the water of life. As I floated in the clouds, I could see a crystal place with a sacred pond. I had left the earth and went back to the cosmos. I was beyond far gone. Stand up. Take a look into your reflection of the water's mirror. Gaze into the eyes. Can you see who is really there? Go on and stare. Keep the eye focused upon who it is that's breathing in this air. As if you're standing on a bridge, look at the water and watch yourself go by. Now look up into the clouds, for our soul is the entire sky. Look outward or look inward. Can you see who is really there? Look and look again until you see the magnificent seer. My dear, you are that highest self. Remember, you're the spirit of the whole universe. We are all miracles in and of itself, said Wind Horse. Her legs galloped through the clouds when thunder came. There I saw a flash, just a glimpse of her flaming jewel when lightning illuminated her white-blue mane. 
With that zap of lightning energy, I saw her transmission burst across the sky. O oh, divinity of the universe, you are similar to fire. Life after life, she was always changing her form. One time I called her Mahakali, once Mother Mary, and so she always seemed to transform. Had I been pretending? Oh, but now I remember who you are, Mother of the Universe. We are spiritual souls, born of distant galaxies and stars. Next she took the form of a heartbeat, and I followed her far beyond the trees. Gone beyond what I once knew, I looked out into infinity, and she was all I could see. For so long I thought the weather was unintelligent or mundane, since the seasons repeated, as if nature was always the same. Today I caught her in the elements, and without words she managed to talk. I heard her as a holy spirit, and like an eye in the sky, she watched over like a great hawk. Her gender was feminine, and all of nature was connected with divine power. Since divine eyes are personified as the goddess, she wore the eyes of the creator. She would hide in celestial bodies, such as the disk of the sun or a full moon. She was the morning star that could be planted within the body of an animal, plant, or human. This eye of Ra was associated with both fire and water, and the celestial eye was once known as the Weejit eye. Her fiery glance could destroy ignorance and armies of divine order, while her tears created life. As we arose in the morning, her gaze embodied the dangerous aspect of the sun's heat. The rays of the sun were compared with arrows shot by a divine archer to destroy the sinful and wicked. All this while, she was luminescent and transparent, like a myth with many irregular details. Not many of us could recognize her form after her ancient disappearance. Her nature had a certain rhythm, and she'd flow like rhymes in a poem. I followed her tracks into the desert, and like a savage lion or a wild cat, she went to the places no one else would go. The sudden disappearance of her could have been interpreted as a solar eclipse. If you didn't catch her signals and signs at just the right time, then the opportunity to find union with this goddess would be missed. She embodied the third eye, and some might think of her more like a vast universe. She was the energy of all light and life. Some called her the Eye of Horus. When humanity is in trouble, she could defend us from evil. But with her spirit far away in the clouds, there was a certain process required for her soul's retrieval. She was a spirit of the air, but she was of the land too. She would gallop day and night, but she seemed to disappear in the light, bright, or night sky into all the shades of blacks and blues. From the vision of my old soul, I knew she was the essence of divinity that could truly illumine. And like a magnet, I was attracted since my soul knew I needed her union. It was a dangerous mission to go after her. No one else seemed to be interested in retrieving the wandering goddess. She was wild and untamed, often linked the helical rising of Sirius. When her thunder roared, she signaled her desire to destroy violent rebels. It didn't matter who stood against her, 
she was willing to annihilate any wicked army assembled. When the goddess wanders off like this, she might need to be tricked into uniting to prevent her from devouring all of humanity. The glorious eye, the great one, and the devouring flame were some of the names of her personalities. Each night I chased after her, and I dug into my past lives where I found many old rituals. These were prayers or rites I devoted to the goddess, and so these ancient ceremonies were impressions of what was once habitual. This time I followed her, where the treetops and mountains changed colors. Windhorse carried me into the land of hoodoos and deserts, a place one might mistake as a planet like Mars. It goes far beyond to distant realms where the wind helps to illuminate the stars. Arches and canyons catch the locals whispering about aliens and UFOs. Here everyone obeys the wind and water in ways that few will ever know. I heard her gallop in the wind, and so I checked with the rain. Oh dearest water, why isn't the wild soul of Earth yet to be tamed? You mean Lungta? The wind horse with the blue mane? She carries the scrolls that are sealed in the sacred flames. These scrolls are not for anyone to take, but they are hers to give. She is the life force of the soul. Similar to fire, she is the spirit woven through all who live, said the gentle rain. O oh, queen of the universe, in the midst of terrible danger, you labor to give birth to the prince of peace. In the face of violence and warfare, you stand on the moon of mercy. Lunged into the darkness of greed and corruption, you wrap yourself in a cloak of sunshine. Surrounded by those who would silence the word of God, you encircle yourself with a symphony of stars. Teach me, brave woman, to be courageous. Show me the way to stand in the chaos of my agony and not lose balance. Help me to trample the demons of despair that oppose us, so that I too may be given eagle's wings and soar to a place of safety where the light of the world is born. I prayed to her in the wind. Oh, I've been waiting for a worthy one, but this journey will take us across some extreme terrain. Are you the one I can trust? Can you handle the power if I let you hold my reins? It's not as simple as what you may answer or say, but rather I'm going to have to count on what you do. For any two to come together, then the union must be true, said Windhorse. You can always trust me. It is I who come back life after life. I vow to protect this sacred planet, and I will always stand for what is just, virtuous, and right. Of course I remember you. Our experiences are like brushstrokes in life's grand work of art. But before I give you my reins, tell me, my lover, what breaks your heart? Said Windhorse. I looked out from within while she looked down from the sky. She was the spiritual soul within all life, and she was the spark behind our eyes. If love is like a fire, then my heart is like a wick. I burn for a connection, life after life, but my heart breaks down because the wax always seems to melt so quick. I try to hold the light, but the darkness is always trying to take over. It breaks my heart 
when I see that the suffering upon earth still has no closure. The heart is tied into grief. So how can any living being survive this great pain? To be born into this world means we must face death, which is beyond what anyone living can explain. Gaze out upon the world with me. Do you see how greed, corruption, and war have poisoned the lands? How have we lost our values? How could we lose sight of the true purpose of the human man? These people are conquering each other with vicious armies. These war machines are displays of brutal power and might. It breaks my heart to know how pure the soul is, yet in this age it seems almost everyone is content to fight. There is the possibility to create heaven on earth, yet that reality can be ruined by so few. And what must the peaceful do but sit, pray, reflect, and wait for a spiritual coming to break through? It breaks my heart that I alone cannot change the horrors of our history. It breaks my heart that we cannot end war. The fighting continues in a circular pattern, and it breaks my heart that the suffering throughout the world continues to grow even more. It breaks my heart that we cannot stop the terrible crimes. My heart shatters to see loved ones in pain. It breaks my heart to see innocent children die in the middle of battle when the children of life were merely born into a war zone and the crisis has risen beyond insane. It breaks my heart to see so much tragedy in our world when we have such potential for peace. It breaks my heart that there are real healers in the world, yet the empires of the world continue to manufacture drugs, food, and alcohol that expedites human disease. Oh, why can't we fix this? And what shall we do? Why can't we heal what breaks our hearts? Where is the spiritual coming that breaks through? Please, Mother of God, you who are similar to fire, why must the world endure so much pain as the innocent children of life continue to suffer? And what can we do? Mother of God, show us the way. It breaks my heart again and again that the world continues to endure such war and violence each and every day. Mother of God, unite all people. It breaks my heart to see the world overcome with such evil. I heard wind horse call out and gallop. Her holy breath came to run within the soul. She carried forth a great wind in my spirit, which was not under any individual control. Then she carried me into the green river, and she thread me into the air, water, earth, and sun. She spoke of a mystical marriage, and this was the place where two come together as one. It was there by that great river where Windhorse stopped, and by some miracle I began to wonder if she was connected to my thoughts. Why I could see my friends, this was a great group among the red earth. We waited by two white tents where a wedding was set to occur. Yes, the wind spoke, and she got so loud that the air began to yell. The men and I spent the entire morning setting up the wedding, but why did the wind want to rebel? A whirlwind threw sand in circles as we gathered near the arches. Why this was the place, and so the wedding was ready to get started. With all the friends one could hope for, the wind seemed to be on everyone's mind. There we waited 
under giant canyons near the red rock spines. Right before the bride was set to come through, the wind summoned a great gust with all its might. But why now? Just when everything was perfect and right, countless candles were broken, and the glass vases were smashed that once held wax and water. The families sat on both sides of the aisles, waiting for this union to come together. Then after a moment of stillness, the bride and the groom came up upon the altar. Everyone turned, and there we saw her. The Bible was opened, and so as witnesses, the words entered into our minds. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And after that, the wind held our breath. Love prevailed because only love can go beyond death. After a kiss sealed the marriage, we found union and balance. I heard wind horse run through everyone's heartbeat as strands of ancient souls laughed the same way wind horse would gallop. The soul was within us all, and together we were set free. Her spirit soul was now tied into us like a sacred thread. And was I riding upon wind horse, or was wind horse riding upon me? It is us together, not I, but we, said wind horse. Now I know how this might sound absurd, but I know exactly what I heard. We were all in shock when the wind arrived because the wind showed us how she could push anything around with an elemental surge. She pushed us into the wedding party. There it seemed the whole world became one. Love grew as the moon rose under the stars, but the wedding was far from done. Food and drinks were offered. Everyone was so generous and kind. There I found great friends, unique people, and loving families as we gathered together under the night sky. When 11-11 came, fireworks exploded overhead. Then the wind carried breath into our bodies when it was time for us to go off to bed. As the party wound down, my curiosity grew. Had anyone else realized there was a horse running in the wind that snuck into the wedding and passed right on through? The more I reflected upon the union, I could see into marriages of all sorts. For ages, brides and lovers came together. I could see kings and royal consorts. One moment I was upon the red rocks, then Windhorse took me to the ocean's coast. This was a Jewish wedding on the edge of a Mexican town that was quiet and remote. We drove through graveyards and cemeteries, then the couple kissed and the marriage was sealed. A glass was broken under the husband's foot and again love prevailed. Over and over, marriages came into view. Next, I went to Montreal, where an Islamic wedding came together. After a reading from the Quran, the husband and wife brought their love into union forever. It didn't matter the setting, but the union brought two into one. And everywhere I saw the marriages take place, I could hear Windhorse gallop and run. Well, what do you think? I asked her. Good fortune, she whispered. And from her breath, prayer flags began to flow. They were green, blue, white, red, 
and yellow. What now? I wondered. Let go. The result of letting go is that you discover a bank of self-existing energy that is always available to you beyond any circumstance. I come from nowhere, yet I am always there. I am the spiritual energy of basic goodness, which exists at the center of every soul. Wind horse is the life force within each breath that makes every union whole. She said, Wherever wind horse wanted to go, it seemed I followed her as if we were interlocked. She brought me to a holy city, which came down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had great walls, high walls, with twelve gates and twelve angels. On the gates were written the names of the twelve constellations. There were three gates on the east, three of the north, three of the south, and three upon the west. The walls of the holy city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onks, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. For the glory of God gives its light, and together in union we are the lamp. The nations will walk by this light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life," said Windhorse. Where are we? I asked her. This is my temple. Your soul exists within the holy city's walls. Come forth and protect all beings. May you look after creatures large and small. It is I who live within you, and your eyes are windows to the soul. Come rest in our true nature, and there you can relax and let go. When you discover your inner nature, you will realize our spiritual essence remains unaltered. The Holy Spirit knows your body as a temple, and so this life is but a shrine and altar. Arches such as this are important fixtures on the landscape for timekeeping, star watching, and other ritual practices. To the native people, the cultural landscape was inhibited by the Great Spirit which upheld the ultimate balance. The native people tell their history through songs, ceremonies, and oral traditions. The native people believe that when a human dies, they become clouds, and this is the truth modern man is missing. Arches are known as windows to the soul. This is what the spirit passes through. Every eye is an arch, my dear, and so I am within all of you," said Windhorse. And why have we come? 
to discover what is true, said Windhorse. And as we came back to the train of wonder, I looked at the Yogini, the cat-named girl, and all the other people who held arches around their eyes. Beyond the layers of who I thought they were, I recognized the spiritual essence that could not die. As I gazed at the Yogini, I saw how myself and many others passed under her arch. It was through the windows of her soul that I was able to understand the power of her selfless heart. But why have we come? I whispered to Windhorse. Then she showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God down the middle of the great street of the holy city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God will be in the city. There will be no night, for God will give them light. That's when I noticed the power of her words. These verses had come from ancient scrolls. They were sealed by fire upon Windhorse's back. And if I listened inward, there was secret wisdom, I was told. She was all pervasive, and I could always sense how her wind would gallop. This reserve of spiritual power had the potential to purify evil, so the corrupt and wicked had reason to fear this. Upon another sunset, I followed her trail where we passed the three gossips, the courthouse towers, Queen Nefertiti, Queen Victoria Rock, and the Tower of Babel. Across the valley was a point, and it was there that the white horse waited. We would rest that night until the moon's glow faded. I could see my distant teachers, and here they began to take shape through various human forms. Yet the real teacher would whisper through the wind, and it was by the power of Windhorse that our lives happened to transform. Here in this moment, I was aligned with nature. It was a connection that arrived long before mankind. The wind was the master of mysteries that revealed all kinds of symbols and signs. Call it intuition or arches. Windhorse was the weaver of the spiritual soul. In a dream, I saw myself mount a white horse, and so the Tibetans called her Longta. Behold, goddess of the universe, I pray we will never again be apart. And so I do have a question for you, dear Windhorse. What breaks your heart? She was right there with me, but all I heard was rain. I won't tell you, but I'll show you. Soon you'll be ready to take the reins, she said. Why's that? It's time, said Windhorse. What time? Windhorse was silent, and so the wind began to flow. She danced through the land and showed me things alone that I had never known. She spoke like poetry, she danced like a song. Everywhere Windhorse ran, she showed me that life and death came equally along, and both go according to plan. It was no man's land, but rather the earth had fallen under a false command. Some man who failed to respect the earth, and all of this earth was her red dirt. She'd been so hurt, and then I saw Windhorse go off and gallop berserk. A few of her eyes turned red, 
the white horse turned blue. She was not calm by any stretch of the imagination, and so the storm clouds grew. It was thunder who ruled supreme, and no wind horse was not a dream. She was a tremendous force, a type of wild rage, and what was she trying to say? It's time to clear the old way for the dawn of a new age, said wind horse. What do you mean? We will make way for the children of light. We will usher in the dawn. Ride upon my back, and we will rectify all that has gone wrong. We will end the reign of bad kings. See no sorrow for the past. Forgive, but don't forget. The time has come for man to awaken at last, said Wind Horse. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings have something to eat. May all beings have a place to sleep. And may all beings find peace. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. There I took a deep breath when Wind Horse entered into my chest. Anything else I should know? Let go, she whispered. Then the wind passed by, and this time she brought a gift. A black feather long and in my path that floated adrift. What was the meaning? Then I heard Wind Horse explain its name. A crow. Universal laws and truths are being revealed. Use this energy to create our reality. I picked up the feather and put it in my spiritual cap. All these threads aligned within reality, which manifested signs and messages so that my soul would not get caught stuck or trapped. Like a great map, that's what Wind Horse was, and she opened into fortune and treasure, a spiritual guide that could gallop through any terrain and weather. Look what I found, said the cat with the flame between her eyes. She held up a feather that had fallen from the sky. This feather had a black tip, with white on the left side. The right was mostly gray, with a dark spot covering up one of her eyes. I couldn't hear the message girl received, but I understood she was gifted with a feather too. The universe would speak in various ways to people on the path who continued to stay true. The path of self-mastery demands dedication to the highest degree, and that is what this gathering is, a community of souls on the path to being freed," said Wind Horse. I took a look around, all while I had been sitting on the train of wonder, and as I sat in meditation, I got to a centered state where I rested in her infinite nature. Now where was I, and where had I gone? I was somewhere inward, as my mind and senses seemed totally withdrawn. One who has lost the awareness of the body is called Videha. His or her awareness of the self is not confined to the body alone. It is beyond the body. Another connotation is a celestial being who does not have a physical body, said Wind Horse. What does that mean? For the godborn or adepts with bodiless consciousness who are merged with nature, Asam Pragnata Samadhi happens through rebirth. This state can occur when the vrittis, or waves that disturb our consciousness, cease to exist. Being considered the perfect state 
in which the inner self awakens, said Windhorse. I don't understand. How could we, when not all of us are free? But as you hear me, we remember we are my tree, said Windhorse. What? My tree is one of the four immeasurable qualities, which is loving-kindness, along with compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Not I, but we, said Windhorse. Then who are we? My tree, all of us, me, others, the earth, and the Sangha. It's all written, just like the others before us. My tree would live idyllically until you encounter the four sights. He would then cut ties with the material world and live an aesthetic life. After seven days of deep meditation, Maitri will become awakened and proceed to preach the Dharma, said Windhorse. How? Let yourself be open to the way and life will be easier. A spoon of salt in a glass of water makes the water undrinkable, but a spoon of salt in a lake is almost unnoticed. We become exactly where our awareness is focused, said Windhorse. Okay, of course. Very good. Videha is born, or reborn, with the capacity to attain the higher levels of Samadhi. Videha is one who has transcended bodily consciousness, one who is not limited to the demands of the body and biological urges. Prakriti is nature, the states of Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, which comprise the forces of nature. So then, Videha is one whose consciousness has dissolved into nature, or Prakriti. This is one who has reached a state of equanimity, and yet remains absorbed in nature, not in pure consciousness. That means this one is tied into nature, not free in himself or herself, but rather directed by nature," said Windhorse. There was a set of reins in front of me, but I didn't quite understand and I wouldn't touch the reins because I was so intent on listening to Windhorse that I couldn't be sure of whether Windhorse or I held command. As if I was being ridden by nature, it was something out of my control. Windhorse showed my mind things that my ego couldn't fathom as it arrived as expressions of surrealism through signs of the inward soul. There are those who live beyond attachment to the body and mind. They travel through the world like waves that cross the ocean and approach a distant shore. The spiritual journey is an ongoing process. The methodical practice of self-discipline and the cultivation of dispassion are at the core of this journey. As we keep getting closer to our destination, which is the realization of the self, worldly snares keep loosening and consequently our journey on the path becomes more spontaneous and joyful. When we see the body as a shadow of the mind, and the mind as a shadow of the soul, our priorities shift automatically. Our attachment to the body and to physical pleasures vanish. Some of us reach a point at which bodily concerns and biological urges no longer occupy the mind. Thus, while living in the world, we attain freedom from the bondage caused by identification with the body and worldly success as failure, gain and loss, honor and insult. A state in spiritual evolution at which we have transcended our body consciousness. But we are not finished yet. 
if our journey is interrupted by death after we have reached this state of physical transcendence, then divine providence ensures that during the next birth, we will get everything we need to start our journey from exactly where we stopped. It is about such seekers that we hear of miracles. The category of seekers who have gone a step beyond Vidya through their methodical practice and cultivation of dispassion, they have not only risen above their body consciousness, they have also gained a high level of mastery over their minds. They have mastered the art of casting off the body voluntarily and suspending their mind in the domain of nature, where they remain absorbed until a suitable body or a machine for their consciousness is available. Yogis of this caliber willfully and consciously allow their self-awareness to be absorbed in nature. In other words, these yogis use prakriti, or nature, as a momentary vehicle for their consciousness. To them, nature is their mother, and when disembodied, they live in her womb, and when embodied, they play in her lap. It is in the case of these yogis that we've heard of mind-boggling stories of spiritual achievements, undergoing sudden transformation, being blessed with spiritual revelation without any apparent effort, and exhibiting extraordinary powers without being trained in yogic discipline are some of the signs of these souls. And suppose you practice a little sampragnata samadhi and then die. Do you lose all the benefit and experience of the path? No. Once you gain a certain mastery over nature, but lose this body before attaining the highest goal of liberation, you go on to become one of the controllers of nature. And suppose you have mastered the gross elements without going into the subtler ones, you become the controller of the gross elements of nature. If you have stopped at the practice Sa-Asmita Samadhi, having reached the very depth of nature, you would have become the master of nature. Such people are called Siddha Purushas, or the Devas, who control the different phenomena, Indra, Varuna, Agni, and so on, according to their Hindu names. But, whoever we become, we have to come back to study further and get liberated. Upon death, temporarily, we have dropped out of nature, but to get the final degree, we have to enter the university of the universe again. Prakriti is that university, which is nature. You can go into certain points and get into higher abodes and control nature, but still the seeds of desires and attachments are there. You are not completely liberated, so you come back again to fulfill the other practices and get the degree. That's why even the devas have become human beings. It is only on the human level that there is a possibility of getting liberation or freedom into the state of heaven. The devas are just human beings who have evolved a little further and learned to control nature and, by that control, have earned the enjoyment of certain pleasures after death," said Windhorse. What pleasure? To serve along the path. After that, we come back. This coming and going will always be there until we burn all the seeds of desire and become completely liberated by knowing our highest self. After that, we just relax. And that's that," said Windhorse. <laughs>